Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! That one felt good. I was trying to hit the vibrato. <laughs> I don't think it came through, to be honest. But we're working on it. I think after a year, well, year and some change, you've mastered the, you're backing up enough at this point. I have. We, we we had so many episodes where you just you yelled at me being like, oh, that was love, Matt. Was it good. just hurt. But now, <laughs> not not really. So I'm trying to be considerate of you. I'm trying to be considerate of producer Sam, who works on this in post, and um, considerate of our viewers. But I think producer Sam probably saved our viewers from a lot of um, ear bleeds. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucas, want- I, I want to talk about something really quickly. Okay, go for it. I, Matt Rockaby, nay, Matthew Benjamin Rockaby, I have procured an artifact. Not really an artifact, but rather a um, modern wonder of the world, if you will. Perhaps a um, eighth wonder of the world. I, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up. I was going to bring this one up, too. I have procure, procured a PlayStation 5. All right. Fuck. It's awesome. It's and awesome, everybody. It was a struggle, and I'm not going to lie, probably the first games I play on it when I meet PS5 games, because we need to get Lucas one first before we do any exclusives for the podcast, and I don't have time to play other games, but oh my god, how is it still this hard to get a PS5, or an Xbox I, Series I, X for that matter? I don't I don't get it. Um, I mean, I know we were just talking about it a second ago before we hit record, but... Um, Man, I do not understand. Like, I'm always expecting some sort of console shortage when consoles drop. Um, I mean, ever since I've been trying to get consoles, since I was, you know, had the capacity to do so, we, um, I didn't have any trouble getting a, a Wii U. Um, but, you know, just, just a, a Switch. I was lucky to get a Switch actually at launch um, just by sheer luck of like kind of somebody buying two on accident and I got one, uh, luckily enough. But, Consoles, I feel like, should not be this difficult to get a hold of, and like, I don't, I don't know if like, it's a. I know that there's scalpers taking a lot of consoles, and we're hearing horror stories of scalpers just like amassing them. But at this point, how? Like, there's no, there's no way they're winning every lottery. They're on every single like Discord or stock alert, like for Best Buy and Walmart. And I find it hard to believe that none of these uh, like distributors are. Take, it seems like they're doing nothing to deal with it. Am I wrong? Well, the thing is, is I mean, I don't know, it's just a matter of, I guess, like supply and demand. It's pretty interesting because, I mean, yeah, there's the chip, the chip shortages, but an interesting stat I heard pretty recently on one of the IGN podcasts recent, uh, actually was that the amount of PlayStation 5s relative to how long it's been out um, that have been sold is actually higher than the amount of say PS4s that were sold over the same amount of time. So right. it's simply just a matter of not being able to keep up with demand. And maybe if there wasn't the supply chip shortage, right, they can make it better. But I mean, just with the way things are right now, you can't, right? And it comes down to who's following the stock trackers the closest, the PlayStation stock trackers or Xbox stock trackers. We don't even have the... Um, if you even If you have the... Um, the drive to even say go out and like camp out in front of one of these places like they used to, right? I remember growing up, I used to watch when I was really trying to find like a Nintendo Wii or a next gen console. I, I grew up watching people like, oh, camping out here. I got my ticket 
in front of Best Buy to get the PlayStation or the that. Wii. Um, and there's also a crazy guy that would like intentionally go to these things and get the first one in line and then just break it in front of everyone. That guy woke up and chose violence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just a simple matter of supply and demand. There's not really any way to go around it for the time being. And I mean, I, I think it's just become a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's so hard to get one. So because of that, also everyone really wants one that bad. Like, even me, honestly, I'll admit it. I mean, I don't have any incredible sense of urgency to play any of the games that I mean, I have games I want to play on it for sure. But like, I I would have been fine if I didn't get it. Obviously, I want to get it so we and I want you to get it too, so we can do games for the podcast. But I think it's just a self fulfilling prophecy of everyone's like, "Fuck, I got it! It's <laughs> best Walmart." I mean, and it's insane too with how hard it is to get it from these distributors. I mean. I had like two attempts before I finally got it where I would get it in my cart and then Best Buy site would break and like make me re-verify my account information 10 times over. Each time I'd enter like, you know, the code they send you or whatever, they're like, oh, that's not the right code. And then they would send me another one. Oh, that's not the right code. And it's just like, fuck. <laughs> it's insane. I, yeah. I don't know why it's so difficult. It's like this. It's like every site crashes every time like a stock alert comes up on one of these places. On, I mean, the only way I could even yeah. get it was by using the iOS app. Like, if I use their site, it just crashed every time. Yeah, I guess their iOS app um, just had less traffic. But so, um, I mean, just think about it like this: uh, the the PS Five has been out since November of 2020, so it's been a full year. They have sold. I have the numbers in front of me. Um, this is as of October 28, 13.4 million units so far and i only know two people that have one you and then um brother-in-law friend of the pod orion um in the discord so i don't really know that many people like anecdotally that that have one or have come close to really getting one this thing if it is a supply problem like if you're sony and you're a business and you're trying to make money and there's so much demand why are you like i'd be throwing everything at trying to produce as many of these as you can because they're flying off shelves it's probably like the most highly in demand sony product you know that ever I, probably ever <laughs> like i don't i don't understand like if if you let's say you create you know a hundred thousand of them and get them off the line they're gonna get sold instantly whether it's by a scalper or by a regular consumer and you're basically going to be printing money because there's the marketing is done. The everything's done. You just need to make them. Right. So yeah. I know there's like there's probably some very highly limited, like just chip shortages stuff, um, you know, or certain components of the console are just quite literally impossible to get to. But if you're Sony, you're looking at a business standpoint. There's no reason to not make as many as you quite possibly can as a company. Uh, it's been a full year. I, I don't yeah. understand. Why and I mean, it's, these it's things have been them. out for Actually, just about now, full year, at least the PlayStation 5 came out November um, 12, 2020. 2020. And I mean, mm -hmm. we're still at a point where it just instantly sells out of stock, like the second it goes live. And it's pretty nutty. But hold any future thoughts. I don't know if you heard, I spilt water all over my desk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, through the magic of editing, we will cut this out. Yeah. Oh. Nope. All right, um, fix that. Fix that spillage there. Fix that village uh where were we we were um PlayStation no, just five insane just um, talking about just that matter yeah really just talking about how it, it feels like um i don't know this is again me speaking anecdotally sold quite a bit of units 13 million in the course of a full year it feels like no one really has one 
Um, you know, I know we know that there's scalpers and all there's all that stuff, but I don't know. It just feels like uh, should I should have one by now if I wanted one. But that's just yeah. Me. No, I mean I. I um hey you 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 deserve one king right <laughs> no it, it is a little insane I feel bad for the people that have really I mean I'm gonna sound like really privileged right now but I feel bad for the people that really want one and are having trouble getting one I mean I feel very lucky I was able to get one but again that was literally very lucky because I had notifications on and I just happened to wake up and check my phone right when it went live so um. It's just like it's just a crapshoot, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that, and that took you a lot of prep just to even set yourself up to get. I know. I had to like tried be perfectly times. signed in on this like app. I had to be have all my payment information ready to go. It wasn't like I could just nonchalantly say, "Oh, it's live. Here we go." It was like I am activated, um, and I'm ready, and I'm ready. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, moving on. Um, in other news, we're gonna go back to not 2020. But we're going to go back to 2019 to talk about uh, today's video game, Matthew. Yes, that is right. Today, everybody, <laughs> we are talking about the number one Stranger Things video game adaptation. <laughs> Control. That is right. That is right. Uh, The 2019 third person person uh, (laughs) action adventure video game developed. Oh my God! What is wrong with me? Developed by Remedy Entertainment. Uh, 8.8 from IGN. Nine out of ten on Destructoid. uh, Eight out of ten on Gamespot, and an 85 out of 100 on Metacritic. IGN's Game of the Year for 2019. We can talk about that a little bit. but yeah, Remedy Entertainment, a pretty, pretty, um, a veteran developer at this point, I'd say. They, they mm-hmm. worked on, may develop the Max Payne series, which I haven't personally played, but I know it's well received. Alan Wake, which we did for this podcast. Not incredible, but a fun game for sure, and um, good, great in its own right. Quantum Break, Control, obviously, Death Rally, and a, a variety of other ones. And they even have a Remedy uh connected universe at this point actually yeah yeah with the, quantum break um alan wake and now control control all being confirmed to take place in the same universe but really quickly before we dig uh any deeper into this game because the title doesn't really tell you much you know like with alan wake you know you're playing it's, it's something to do with alan wake. <laughs> your, your name um, alan wake yeah that's, that's at least and, and control they leave a little bit more vague interpretation so uh really quickly i'd like to to give a brief overview of the game to all of the, our wonderful listeners. So everyone has a bit of an idea of just what we're talking about. As always, I will do my best to um, keep this as spoiler light as possible. And obviously Lucas and I will make an effort that the podcast to keep it spoiler light. However, there is always a chance that uh, some spoilers will leak in when we talk about certain um, points and story beats in the game. Now that said in the year 2002, Jesse Faden and her younger brother Dylan are involved in a paranatural event, also known as an AWE, aka an Alter World event, in their hometown of Ordinary. The two accidentally unleash, unleash paranatural forces via an object of power in the form of a slide projector. 
They are then saved by a mysterious entity known as Polaris. In the aftermath of the event, Dylan is taken away by the Federal Bureau of Control, a clandestine government agency dealing with the supernatural in order to be groomed for leadership in the organization. Fast forward 17 years to October 2019, and Jessie finds herself in New York City. Now you're in New York at the headquarters <laughs> of the Bureau, also known as the oldest house, in search of her brother upon entering. Alex is appointed the new director of the Bureau and discovers a paranormal force known as the Hiss, threatening to destroy the Bureau and the world if it gets out. Jessie begins her quest to defeat the Hiss find her brother, and prove that all those QAnon conspiracy posts she made on Twitter were not for nothing. It's <laughs> a really, really great synopsis. You know, and, and so accurate, Jesse too. was a QAnoner, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, now, really quickly, before we dive any deeper into the podcast, I'd like to give all you wonderful listeners a reminder. If you have anything you want to talk about, shoot us an email. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us grow. Helps us see what you want from the podcast. Helps us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. So leave a review, Apple Podcasts. Um, follow on Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, TFP Podcasts. Uh, podcast with an S at the end and come hang on our discord. You can find that on our website. Thanks for playing dot live along with some very fun action shots of Lucas and I, if I may say so myself. <laughs> um, and you can find a link to the discord and come hang on the discord. It's a good time. We have a fun little crew in there um, that uh, always likes to go back and forth with one another about certain topics, but control Lucas. Wow. Control. Yeah. Um, man, I, I love the game. I really, really love this game. Now, um, I'm not sure what your like history of of knowing what Control was, um, but I certainly know mine. I really did. This game really passed me by in 2019. Uh, 2019 was a pretty crazy year for me. Um, I, I've said it before. I was living in Las Vegas at the time. Uh, wasn't a whole lot of video games being played by me. Um, other than, you know, I think we may have gotten into... Uh, TFT at the time. We were really big Literally. into TFT and like Yeah, I guess that was it. I played some yeah. I played some Counter-Strike and um I don't even know if we weren't playing Valorant then either, but I wasn't playing too many video games and certainly not a whole lot of single player games, but Control kind of passed me by. And uh playing it now, I I sort of knew that um you know, obviously I knew that it was IGN's game of the year in 2019. I knew it got really great ratings and I knew that it was in the Alan Wake universe um while we when we did our Alan Wake episode not too long ago. And um man, I didn't know anything about the game, just downloaded it off Game Pass, started playing it and it was awesome. Um from the beginning, I was locked in. This game combined a lot of my favorite things secret government conspiracies, brutalist architecture, paranormal activity, and a, a good bit of humor, actually, yeah. in this game. Um, like, like actually, like some really solid uh, comedy in it. Uh, not comedy, humor, you know, slight difference. Um, pretty much loved the game from the start. Uh, and I didn't even know it was a Metroidvania, honestly, when I played it. Um, I didn't know it was going to be all backtracky and like multi, like fast travels and stuff. I thought I was just going to kind of play like floor by floor and kind of go through this building and just like, you know, get to a boss at the top or something like that. Much turned more out linear, right? Yeah. Be much more linear. Absolutely. I, I really thought it was just going to be like that. And turns out, I mean, it's a whole world in that building. And, um, you know, the game gets very complex in terms of like movement and game design, uh, weapons and choices, loadouts, abilities, verticality. Um, and 
not so much story, but we're going to go into that a little bit, <laughs> probably <laughs> um, maybe in the nitpick section. But yeah, um, I was stoked on this game for sure. What about you? Yeah, I think the first time I heard about it, I want to say I was listening to one of IGN's podcasts, PlayStation Beyond, and I think I heard Jonathan Dornbush just talking about it. And kind of like what you're saying, it just kind of went over everyone's head. I remember he was saying how, oh, everyone, this game's really sick. Uh, if you haven't played it, you should. It's not getting like that much attention, but it's up for contender, at least for me. Or and I'm quoting Dornbush here, like, oh, for a game of the year, potentially. Um Ah, I might have misquoted him there a little bit. I don't that's a direct quote, <laughs> it's all good. He, point is, he really liked the game and ultimately it did win IGN's Game of the Year in 2019, uh, beating a lot of other really good games like yeah, Sword and Shield, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Kingdom Hearts 3, Borderlands 3, Disco Elysium, Outer Wilds, Secure, Outer Worlds, Sekiro, Jedi Fallen Order. Just quite... Apex um, Legends. It had a lot it was going against and it managed to win um, Game of the Year, which I think is very interesting. But... I mean, immediately, uh, I, the, I, I mean, I, we, I, I don't agree with it. I don't think you do either, but we can get into that. But uh, I mean, it's just a really fun game it, right off the, the bat, right? It, it drops you into this world with like zero context. And like the opening scenes are very intense and it really sets like the tone. And, you know, it's all like grayscale. You know, there's no like color or anything. It's just a very kind of drab, depressing um, scenario and you just walk into like this little government building and 10 minutes in you're just shooting like these infected government workers and she's just like I right, let's get it like, yeah and yeah. It, it's a very um, just fast but fun opening and it's kind of interesting how, how quickly our, our main character just kind of accepts the scenario that she's in but I guess this is what she was looking for her whole time and we can kind of get into that but um yeah, just a very interesting game. And one of the things that really jumped out to me, I, I want to mention in particular, is, well, Lucas, you and I both agree that while not being hard, no, like really hard per se, this game is difficult. And, you know, you do have to think a little bit, right? You can't just mindlessly spam your gun. You can't I like be, that. No, I exactly. Love that about it's it. great. You, know, you can't be totally mindless with telekinesis. You're you're basically a Jedi in this game, minus lightsaber, to be totally honest. Um <laughs> And you couldn't be totally mindless with your abilities. You didn't actually have to be strategic. And as even for me, as early as like one of the first boss battles, I was still having to like, I was dying and having to like kind of redo it and see what I needed to do differently and really think about my strategy and how I was navigating the map while popping out and attacking where I could. But what I thought was interesting is while they do make this game um, difficult and challenging and rewarding in a good way, they also included a assist mode which I don't even know if you saw this, but there's an I didn't even know that. That Yeah, maybe it's a PC-only feature, I'm not sure, but there's an assist mode where the, you can enable, from the very beginning of the game, there's no requisite of dying, say, 10 times beforehand before you're able to enable this, but literally just a mode and it just says, hey, like here's God mode if you want. There's a, a one-hit kill mode. There's a invincibility mode. Whoa. You can, if you don't want to be make it that easy, you can put in say damage amplifiers or damage reducers for yourself. And they really went the extra mile to um, make this game as accessible as they could for everyone where, and what I loved about it too, is even before you say enabled this assist mode, cause I checked it out because I was just curious. Um, the had prompts come up when you were going to enable it saying, Hey, if you're having a hard time, we get it, but this game is meant to be challenging. Like, are you sure? 
Are you sure you want to, you know, go into assist mode or whatever? So I, I really appreciate that and how they encourage you to play the game as it's meant to be. But, you know, maybe for whatever reason, one reason or another, this game was may, maybe particularly challenging to some people. And maybe some people are really genuinely having trouble progressing beyond certain points. And, you know, maybe some people don't aren't there for the gameplay. Maybe some of them are just interested in the story, right? Right. Then I, I really appreciate them giving an avenue for that. I totally, totally agree. Yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. I think I, I didn't used to like that stuff as much, but since we've we've played so many games on this podcast and like just in adult life, you only have so much time on your hands, you know, yeah. and um, like having modes like that are just really, really great. And I w- it kind of falls in line with, with what you just said too, at least my thought on it is um, I was playing through this game and uh, my mom who loves like government conspiracy stories and like loves the X-Files and loves paranormal stuff. Um, one of her favorite shows, like Supernatural, right? Like she would love this game as like a TV show or something. But the story that's in this game or the setting in Control is actually locked behind um, a video game, right? So if you're a regular consumer of media or you don't play video games or you're a little older, but you love stories that involve like, you know, crazy secret government bureaus, you know, and like, monsters and paranormal activity you can't experience this story you know so i think there, and of course there's a big scale so if you're a gamer that you know you want to see the story of this game you want to explore the federal bureau of control but it's just too difficult to do so you're not going to have a good time playing this game if you're not like a dedicated gamer or mm-hmm. you're up for the challenge and some people just straight up have certain you know physical limitations or disabilities that might not allow them to play the game as effectively in the way it's quote meant to, or, you know, not quote, but in the way the game is meant to be played. So I totally understand the need for a mode like this when the, the, there's more than just the, the challenge that's appealing to the game. There's actually a lot of story elements and setting that's really appealing. It's kind of funny. Like I think there's a, it's not a kind of a one size fits all when it comes to like your God modes. I think if your game has a huge story element, and it's about like exploring the story and the setting a little bit more and kind of seeing where the twists are, then yeah, give someone the God mode, let them basically play the story. Um, but if your game is actually just, you know, I don't know, like you can't really do God mode in Tetris or something like that because yeah. well, what would be the point? There's no story. It's You're supposed to just be challenged it's or supposed to solve it. It's purely a mechanic gameplay thing, yeah. So with Control, I think it it's deserving of a system like that. It makes sense for it to have it. Um, some games we've played, I'm not sure if a God mode would, would make sense to like Katamari, probably not. Um, but a God mode would probably, I don't even know how that would work. Yeah, I don't know either. You just win the level, Uh, (laughs) but like outer wilds maybe could have benefited from having a slightly easier, some things that were slightly easier to do because some of the stuff in that game was a little, a little difficult. Yeah. Outer wilds had a lot of just things that even once I knew what to do, it was just like, Oh, you slightly missed the stars aligning. (laughs) <laughs> yeah in, exactly. in layman's terms um, and the whole story was was the whole point but anyway yeah love that um yeah really really great for them to do stuff like that um one thing i will kind of talk about too in game design um is innovation with the game i wanted to kind of touch on that just for a quick second um do you think that this game is uh changing anything doing anything super new or super innovative at all uh, no, I, I think it just uses, I think it's just a really good third person action adventure game to be frank. And 
even playing it, it felt very clear to me that this was a Remedy Entertainment game having played Alan Wake. Yeah. It felt totally very agree. much just like Alan Wake. Granted, by nature of the combat abilities of your main character, it was much faster paced than Alan Wake. But, um, I mean, it, it the physics were very clearly akin to Alan Wake. The, um, the shooting was akin to Alan Wake. The... Uh, what else was I going to say? The the art style. I mean, everything about it was just so very like rehashed. I felt, um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, the, what's it's okay to rehash things in gaming. You just have to rehash it well, right? Mm-hmm. And make it your own in your own unique way. Whether that's by adding great voice actors or by having just a very very good gameplay um, loop, which this game does, thankfully. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I fully in line with that as well. I actually think this is a very traditional game i don't think it's like reinventing anything at all um it's it's playing pretty safe um other than it being challenging which um you know but it does have that god mode thing but it's challenging and maybe a little bit uh, can be very difficult for some people um other than that i think it's just kind of a straightforward thing um what's interesting is thinking about ign's uh game of the year like most recently which is like hades right like Hades is a really, really great game of the year pick for 2020. I know we talked about it and we have a whole podcast on that one. Hades like feels like a revolutionary like design choice or like it feels like, whoa, this game is really different. Like, yeah, it's oh, it's like a roguelike game, but there's a big twist and the story is really interesting. So it kind of hits on like a lot of cylinders. I think control hits really, really, really well on just the one cylinder, which is just a really fun like third person action adventure. Um, we're going to go into the story a little bit. I do have that reserved in my nitpick, so I don't want to dive in too much to that, but I do think the game does miss in a few ways. Um, so I'm going to be a little critical here in the game design section, which I, I, I think we're, we're, we've been on game design. I don't know if we, yeah, I think overall it. the, the game, the game is designed very well. It feels good. It, like I mentioned, it very clearly feels like, I mean, it just feels like Alan Wake, but a little bit faster to be honest. And maybe I'm just saying that because Alan Wake is still pretty fresh in my mind. We didn't do that too long ago, but the, I mean, the combat's fun. The guns are cool. The shooting feels good in the game. I will say though, the scalings of the gun gets it. Once you get one, that's called the Pierce. piercer. It's a little, little OP. Cause it's very clearly like, Oh, this is my best gun. Why would I use any other ones? Cause you get a breakthrough yeah. gameplay loop of user two shots on your pierce. And then use your telekinesis while you're pierced. Yeah, it's you start fighting everything the same. Um, and that was a little unfortunate once you hit that point. But I think overall, though, it still encourages a good mixture of using your telekinesis powers and then also using your gun in combination to take down enemies. For example, when you use your telekinesis to, say, throw an item or a piece of rubble at an enemy character that's much more effective at taking down a character with shields than say just shooting them with your gun is. So it's the loop becomes, Oh, this character has shields. I need to first take, you know, lower that with telekinesis. And then, then I can look at getting at them with my gun. So I think the do a good balance of mixing of up the mixing enemy up and, like offensive styles and things yeah, like that. And keep at least trying to make it so that you're not just, completely abusing one gameplay method and keeping things fresh. Yeah, totally, totally. I I I agree with you there as well. I think like once you got the pierce, the game the game combat does get a little less diverse than it is at the beginning of the game. I found myself experimenting with loadouts up until I got the pierce, then it just became all about that gun. All of my like 
all of my upgrades essentially clear, went to powering up that gun. What Lucas means is there's in the game there's um, like almost like perks you can equip, like mm -hmm. called personal mods, which you can equip, uh, which could be anything from shields last 10% longer. Your only shields that you get are maybe you regenerate your gun ammo a little bit faster, or maybe your health, you get more health per pickup that you right. get. Um, and then your guns have mods too, for example. There's one that's like a shotgun. It's like, oh, less recoil on this gun, or this gun does 30% more damage if you get a headshot, things like that. Right, right. Yeah. So once the Pierce kind of came into view, um, I kind of just kept that gun the whole time. It's basically like your like charge sniper gun in the game. Mm -hmm. It's so strong. It just kind of it kind of just destroys everybody very easily. So like you can play extremely safe um, and still be good. Um, I hardly even used whatever. You, you get two gun loadouts that you can switch in between when you choose your loadout. So I just went with Pierce and then whatever the other gun was, I hardly even used. Um, I be it became a gameplay loop of like telekinesis, tel telekinesis, okay, pure shot, and then telekinesis again. Didn't really shield all that much at a certain point. Um, there was a lot of things. I like the dash. You, you do get a dash and you do get like a super jump. Those things are pretty sick um, and allow for like some big changes in the game. But ultimately what it just becomes is now I'm going to super jump and then pierce somebody or yeah. dash and then get safer and then pierce somebody. It just, the whole game revolved around the one gun, which is... Um, it's always a little eh when that happens. That did happen for me in Cyberpunk. I remember just one gun I, I had was, was just way just too thinking of your Cyberpunk commentary. Yeah, there was like one gun in Cyberpunk I got that at the very beginning that was just literally the best gun I had all game. Um, one thing I will uh, just kind of kind of call out here is the upgrade system and like some of the mods that you get, the personal mods and the gun mods. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of like just straight by the numbers mod stuff. Um, there was a lot of like you know, reduce your reload time by 22% with this mod and it, or, oh, increase uh, the amount of time that it takes to recover from your dash by 30%. It was like very like mathematical feeling when you were doing some mods. And like, to me as a player, like when I'm kind of picking a loadout, it just, it's always a little like, I guess less exciting when you're picking out mods that are very like numbers driven. Um, as opposed to like certain games will have like your dash now damages people when you dash through them or something like if it was a mod like that, like it'd Hades. be like, oh, <laughs> sick. yeah, it would be like, exactly OK, like that's Hades, a mod yeah. like that's an upgrade I want. You know, like if you're just like like min maxing certain gun like numbers, it just feels less interesting. Um, it, Hades is just the right example. It's like every boon in Hades is like it doesn't really it's a combination of like a numbers thing. And like a, a cool new thing that it does, um, I'm more of a fan of the of something doing a cool new thing, right? Um, oh, this gun now sets people on fire and does damage over time or something. Or, oh yeah, you can now like, um, well, there is a way you upgrade your telekinesis where you hold multiple things. But I don't know. Do you agree with, with that sort of vibe? Or like, did you find that some of the mods just feel a little eh because they're all numbers driven? I mean, I think it's a matter of presentation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even even the the boon in Hades where your dash does damage to your enemies, they could easily reword that and say your dash does twenty percent damage to enemies now, right? Yeah, or, okay. <laughs> but in <laughs> the same true. vein, it's it's adding a new element to your dash, whereas the mods don't really add new elements to the gun it just improves upon its base stats basically yeah which makes it less exciting 
I was and, never like yeah. sick. This gun mod just made my reload time faster. Like this, yeah, this yeah. changes everything. <laughs> I, I, I almost want to say, I think it's unfair to compare this game to Hades because Hades is just such a unique action game. And it's also a very different genre where the, I think the allure of control isn't necessarily supposed to be the gameplay. It's supposed to be the setting and the story you're playing through. Whereas the allure in a game like Hades is very much just like, Heavy metal action, well, like well, fuck yeah, violence. Right? I'm just I'm just talking in terms of upgrades in games in general, like to stuff. I just I'm more of a fan when it's not numbers driven, when it like adds a new element or a new layer onto whatever you're doing, whether it's like a, an ability you have or a gun that a weapon that you possess or something. Like it's cool when you get more tools as opposed to like editing your stats. It, oh, oh, almost always in my opinion. like here's a here's a great example. I think right, like let's say instead of having one that gives you thirty percent charge on a or 30 percent extra damage headshot you have one that instead of being like one shot it's like a continuous laser that comes out of your piercer right something like that that sounds dope that sounds yeah. cool i want that see like Remedy, you already me. <laughs> yeah you already like made made something way more interesting and it would have changed the, it would have like made me play different it would have like made me excited to unlock more things and i think that's why i did like basically only a few side quests in this game, even though it felt like there was kind of a lot. Um, you'd get new side quests, you'd get new random assignments and side missions. I found myself only really doing them if they were convenient, because I was like, what is this going to give me that? What is this going to give me besides just another mod to make my reload times like faster? Like, I don't, I never the really, I don't know if you felt. The only that were interested in that gave me the extra powers, like the shield or the yeah, seas. Yeah, exactly. I think the dash was actually an optional power you didn't even need as well, so. Really? I'm pretty well. sure because it was a side quest, wasn't it? Well, I thought there was a a, a wall or like a soft key in the game um, that you mm. needed to open with a dash Maybe. or something. I'm not sure, yeah. but yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. You're yeah. not wrong, but you're not right. <laughs> I'm not comparing it to Hades. I want to make it clear. Yeah. I didn't. I'm not directly comparing this to Hades because Hades is a masterpiece. But I will well, say, that's if the you're, problem when you're when you're like us and you play video games critically twice a month, right? Is we <laughs> we're going to be comparing it inherently yeah yeah well okay i mean I'll, i can take another game too like um well we're playing i started playing one of the games that's coming up around the corner which is bioshock um and the new abilities every time you get one it's really sick you know it's like i mean there's a lot of pat there it's it's never like numbers driven it's like you can now electrocute people you can now set yeah. people on fire you can now hypnotize people it's like it just gets really sick every time you get one. It has it never it never is on stats because there's no stats in that game, and I think that's really cool. Um, so anyway, just a little commentary on on mods and power ups, Mod, mods and power up systems, etc. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> I I uh, let's I want to talk a little bit about the art style, Lucas. I kind of feel a little, you're a little more art housey than me. I want to get your thoughts on this. <laughs> um, I think the art style is kind of fine. Um. I feel like I like the engine. Uh, I don't know if we cover this really in, in this section, but I think the game looks cool. I think it's like, um, I love the brutalist like architecture stuff. Like if, if you guys out there, um, there's a really, really great 99% uh, invisible podcast episode on brutalism. Um, just the architecture design style of like giant concrete buildings that was really popular in the 20th century. Basically, all of Control's aesthetic is like kind of based on that. The whole entire Federal Bureau of Control is that. It's actually based off of um, a real building in New York called the Long Lines. Um, it's the AT&T building. 
um, it it's you look at that building and it it really. Um, I have a lot of weird feelings looking at that long lines building. <laughs> Are you looking it's at it? Very right now? clear. Yeah, it's very clear. It comes from like it was yeah. inspired by control. <laughs> I mean, look at look at that building. Like, if you look at like old black and whites of it, or like when it was built, it's just so crazy that 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 we went through a period of buildings looking like that. Um, like a lot of Cold War era buildings in in Russia kind of have that feel. Yeah, energy efficient buildings, like you know, very like it's called brutalism for a reason, you know, and. Um, I, I love that that basically the, the base, like the DNA of control is really based in that. Um, so I, I mean, I love that part. I think as far as like the actual graphics, I don't think they really did a ton to like change things up. I mean, there was like sometimes filters like, oh, here's a black and white filter on the game. Here's like the whole last section of the game was just one giant red filter. (laughs) That was just kind of like that actually. Yeah. That was just kind of like cheap for me. Um, I think there was a black and white part of that too. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, that, that stuff is just kind of eh for me. Uh, I, from what I understand, this game has ray tracing. I still don't know what that means. Maybe you can fill me in on that. You wouldn't be able to, it has to do with the way like light reflects off of surfaces, I think in the game itself, but you wouldn't have, uh, you played on Xbox one, right? So there's no ray tracing on, there's online. no, you'd have to either play it on a new gen console or have like an RTX 3080 or 3060. Okay. I, it's crazy. I mean, it was a big mark. It feels like a big marketing point in the game because it was like, if you look at some of the material for when the game well, was, it was being a promoted. marketing point on the re-release. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like the, on the fully mastered edition. Gotcha. So there was no ray tracing rendering or anything in the, when it first came out in 2019 for the console. Not to my knowledge. I don't believe ray tracing was really being, I mean, it was a thing back then, but it wasn't really being touted in games because I mean, this game came out on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. And maybe if, I, if I'm listeners, if I'm wrong, please email me or come berate me in the Discord. But I don't believe the Xbox One or PS4 are capable of ray tracing. I'm pretty sure that's only a new gen console thing. Or if you have a very, very high end graphics card and pretty much like a new graphics card. Did you have ray tracing? No. You didn't? Yeah. Well, I literally, when I boot the game up, there's an option to play it with two different drivers, Direct X11, Direct X12, which is just like a. I don't really understand how it works. It's just like PC gaming things, but they literally say you'll only use this one if you have like high enough specs to do ray tracing, <laughs> which I don't. So yeah, I I mean I'm sure that my gameplay experience was fine without it, uh, but like I wonder. That's, I saw side note. That's actually one of the things I'm most excited to with check your out PS5 on the PS5 is just yeah see see how. I wonder how fucks. Yeah, I wonder. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just I want to see that too. Um, Yeah, I I saw like comparison screenshots of it with ray tracing and without, and um, you know it looks different. I don't know if it breaks the. I don't know if it like makes or breaks anything for me. But I think it's just a nice addition. Yeah, that's kind of the way it feels. Um, But I know that I I will say I I did see ray tracing examples in like Cyberpunk and like maxed out PC settings around the new gen consoles, and it looked very. It did look pretty good. Yeah. It just I makes the reflections too. look way more realistic and just helps with lighting and stuff. That's how I understand it anyways. But mm-hmm. I side note too, I just love how it's based off that building too. Cause the big thing about that at and <laughs> building on 33 Thomas street is that originally it was meant or originally what it was supposed to be was like a switchboard operating for oh. uh, AT&T, which is when, you know, literally like 
you have phone operators you call and they say, oh, which you know line do you want to get connected to? Because we used to have to literally be all connected by lines, right? Um, I've seen old Hollywood movies, man. I yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so originally that was the purpose of the building to my understanding, but um, nowadays it is apparently touted and the, apparently this can be connected through various things leaked in various documents, particularly from Edward Snowden, that that building now is also used as a NSA uh, saw that. basically for surveillance. <laughs> so, I mean, you just look at that thing and you know, the government's like all up in there listening. Love, I'm sure yeah. they're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we're on a watch list already, but <laughs> I, no, I, I was a very, I'm like, I was looking at that. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. And even I, I just, it's such, it's such a clear inspiration. I mean, I'm looking right now on Wikipedia, even just the entry to that building looks the same as the entry does when you start control when you first walk into the building. Totally. And totally. It, I mean, I, I don't think they could have picked a better borderline carbon copy slash slash inspiration for the game, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And what what's also so interesting is, um, you know, Remedy Entertainment is a Finnish video game developer. Um, so they're non-American and uh, like to to kind of be that close to like the the ethos of like American, like, you know, New York secret government conspiracy, like inspiration is pretty cool. Um, to me, I feel like, you know, it's sort of like within our culture, it's like very the 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 US government covering up things and having a secret like building where they do all this paranoia. That just doesn't even feel like weird to me. Cause it just I like is. it just <laughs> is like I know that the government's doing that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that, uh, you know, a Finnish video game developer is so closely and nails it, you know, kind of nails that tone, nails yeah. that look of like, oh yeah, like this is totally where the, the building would look like, you know, this is totally where it is in New York, you know? Yeah. Um, and also the fact that Remedy, Remedy has two other games that also take place in America, which is Max Payne and Alan Wake. They, um, just interesting side note there. Yeah. I do want to mention as well, though, I think graphically to be fair, and I was playing this on my PC with not as great as graphics, probably even on like an Xbox, but just graphically wise, I, I wasn't that impressed with the game overall. Um, I'm going to back you up on that one. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I feel like this could have been released as the same time as Alan Wake. The only thing I'd say maybe Alan, this game has over Alan Wake is I think it was better with facial expressions. Uh, I have a feeling they used more mocap, but even then, maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly, but I feel... Alan Wake looked weird. Did it? Okay, it did look a uh, facially. There was like, if you look at Alan Wake like face faces, you'll you'll remember he looked weird sometimes for sure. But other than that, I mean, honestly, it looked pretty similar. And maybe that's just a credit to Alan Wake for being a little bit just holding up very well. But yeah, not not too impressed. So maybe maybe this game deserves a replay on the PS5 with ray tracing. <laughs> yeah, that it, it probably looks great with um, sort of your maximum settings, but yeah, I think I'm just a I'm not a ba- a big fan of the technical side of the graphics, but I do love the art direction in it overall. Just like with every corner of that building is like very meticulously concept like I, I would love to take a look at the concept art for this game and just see what like was on the table cuz there's probably a really great yeah, art book and- somewhere. I mean, on top of the art concept too, they did such a good job about building. And this is a little separate from art style. I apologize, but they did such a good job of just building, painting such a clear picture of the culture of the bureau. Yeah, with with the layouts, with the little things you find throughout the 
like the little research reports or correspondence or whatever you find throughout the game. You'll find like little notes from office employees and it almost has a vibe, like an air of the office to it actually. In my yeah. opinion, at least from what I was reading, that's the vibe I got where it's just like, we know how absurd our, how absurd our job is. And like the only way we can cope with like how stupid this is, is just like cracking really dumb jokes and kind of having almost a nihilist mode to it, I guess. Um, I think nihilist, I don't think that's right actually, but um, a point is it's just a very clearly like a, we're, this is our, this is our job and it's like fucking weird kind of mentality um, to the point of where it's just, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, um, I feel like if, if you work at the bureau, you probably have like a self-deprecating humor, right? Like, yeah, get through the yeah, day. yeah, totally. To there's just a, there's a ton of commentary on like bureaucracy in general, government work and stuff like that. I mean, they, that they, they literally have a guy, I think you're about to bring it up. They literally have a guy in there where his whole job is to stare at a fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because if the fridge is not stared at, it will it, like, attack people or something. Yeah. You know? Cause it's a paranormal object. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you do that side quest? That side quest was sick. That was one of the good I ones. I actually didn't, have, I didn't get to it. But. You don't really get a good reward from it. You fight. A, it's a boss fight. It's like a really sick boss. Fight oh, is it <laughs> of like some astral plane alien creature? You should look it up. Uh, actually just like Google the image real quick. You fight this massive monster in the astral plane that the monster itself, the mechanics of the boss fight, you have to look at the monster the whole time to like, because like just the just the way like the layout is on the map and like how it attacks you, you kind of have to stare at it. It's like a giant eyeball, and it is so cool. Like it was, gen I was genuinely blown away by that side quest because I was like, oh, I get it. Because like somebody has to constantly look at the fridge and there's a monster in here. You fight it. You have to look at the monster the whole time. How sick is That's that? Sick. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It looks kind of terrifying, actually. Yeah, I th I like honestly, if there could have been a final boss in this game, which there was not, I don't know why. It should have been based off that or or that one you know it was i wanted to see more of those kind of creatures show up more i don't know why they totally missed the yeah opportunity. i honestly thought the boss fights that they did have were kind of not exciting dude that was the coolest boss fight and it was because it was like in the astral plane it was a big monster like it was sick i would rather have fought any of those than like a hiss agent like a you know the head of security salvador or whatever like that was those were just kind of like eh, boss fights, you know, because it was just an yeah. upgraded version of a of what you already fight, really. Um, the, I I would have loved to have seen more like really cool monsters, and it would have been a great opportunity to show off some of that concept art they probably came up with, tying it back into yeah, art style. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sound design. I don't have too much to say about the soundtrack. I did go back and listen to it. It's very good, and I, I probably wasn't paying that much attention to it because I was so immersed in the game. And like we always say, the bare minimum is good great for games yeah great for games yeah i i i was really happy with the voice acting because voice acting is something Same. that games may not always have and i really want to give a special shout out to the actor that played darling um oh my god what was his name again uh well i'm looking that up um yeah so loved, loved the actor that played Darling and Lucas fun fact for you. I don't know if you found this one. The actor that played Darling is the person that provided the voice for Alan Wake. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't pick that up. That's interesting. I like, I know neither did I. He does a good job of changing his voice making it for either role, making it much more, um, natural, I guess. I, I have a feeling that his Darling voice is much more 
his proper voice than what he does for Alan Wake. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I um yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I I like the voice acting a lot. Um, you know, the gun sounds sound sick. Um, I love the chanting and like the spooky possessed people. Um, I think that was a cool sound design element. Yeah. And I really do like when uh like Jesse flashes to like the astral plane and you hear that mumbling sound. Um, and like kind of sounds like a radio broadcast that's really mumbled. That stuff is really cool. It kind of reminded me of Oxenfree a little bit. And I thought that they were going to kind of lean into that a little bit more in the story, maybe go into the radio broadcast or kind of decipher things, but they just never did. It was kind of just like this nonsensical random crap. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it it sucks because like Oxenfree does the nonsensical random crap, but then it turns into like, oh, that's what that like. It kind of gets revealed that like, oh, there's it just sounded scary and now it like has purpose behind it with the twists that occur in that in that story um i so i wish that the, the sound design was great i just wish that it went more places in terms of like tying into the story a little bit better um there was some documents you could read on like oh here's what the hiss is actually trying to say or like here's what the chanting actually could mean but like nothing really in the main story that that ends up fulfilling that cool sound design stuff so well anything that would be revealing was typically just redacted <laughs> yeah that that was that got a little kitschy like after it, it got a little lame after a while i got a little I, tired I, of it it's like, it was funny at first yeah. i mean the whole story this is just and, and we'll talk about this one in in a bit here in the next section but it's like the whole story is like really great up until a certain point then it just kind of gets a little little tiring um but yeah sound design's great um i love that they used like i mean i don't think they used any celebrity actors or anything i think they just used like ac- actual voice actors for this one right for the most part, yeah. Um, I will say though, and I might get some hate for this. I didn't love uh, Jesse Faden's voice actor. Really? I think her name was Courtney Hope. Um, I don't know. It just came across kind of flat for me at some point. There were some parts I did really like. There's a moment at the end where she's very distressed and like crying. And I thought she did very well then, but in a lot of just her conversations, it came across very flat to me. Well, it's because she says the same lines like 20 times. Like, yeah. Dylan, they took you. Like, it just, yeah. she basically says the same thing with the same emotion like 20 times and it starts getting real stale. I'm looking for my brother. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Like, say it once or twice, but come on. Like, it's, she says it so many times. Dylan. Um, or just I'm the. Not, I'm, not doing it, I'm being mean. No, 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 no. I, I know what you mean. And even like when she's talking to the voice in her head, um, it does start getting like very. Eh, like it starts getting pretty stale after a little while. Um, well, because there's only so conversations she has with Polaris, who's like speaking through her slash inhabiting her, kind of unclear. Every conversation is just like, "I need you. I feel you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twenty times, like literally, like every like every chance they can do it, they they do it. <laughs> it's like pretty insane. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why why that is, but yeah, sound design. I think that's all I got. Uh, NPC award. I'll go first. I loved Darling. I um, knew you were going to say Darling. <laughs> he was so fun. And I, I feel like if I was in the bureau, he'd, I'd be his best friend. Yeah, he was cool. I feel like he was the real like kind of like, I don't want to say like, what do you call like not soul, like kind of the fun part of the game. He was like the most fun part of the, the story. The le- yeah, there you go. Of the story for sure. Well, and um, I love too how he was clearly just kind of like the way they portray his character. It's almost like this mad. It's almost this mad scientist vibe where 
he's just so happy to be discovering new shit and having fun with it. And yeah. it just happens to be his job and he likes it. But then I do love too that when when you get later in the game and it reveals more of how he's kind of realizing the threat of the hiss, how he becomes kind of more serious and then eventually kind of borderline crazy when he gets exposed to the Polaris slash Hedron. But I, I was very happy we got to see that serious side of him because they could have such easily done a thing with him where they just make him like this really goofy guy. And like, there's a recording of him like, hey guys, look at, look at this. It's the astral. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, totally. totally. I, I'm really glad they gave him also like an air of, oh man, we're going to be fucked. I got to do something. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that in characters because it added another dimension to where it should that he does actually care about his work and he isn't just like there because it's, it's fun and it's interesting research. But he was like, I mean, honestly too, if he didn't make like those HRA devices, which is what the people were to protect them from the hiss, he probably would have, I mean, everything would have been done. Right. So yeah. Favorite character by far in the game. Yeah. Love that guy. Um, I did not pick him for the NPC award. I'm actually going the opposite. Uh, going with Zachariah Trench on this mm. one. Um, yeah, if he's uh, whatever the opposite of levity is, that's kind of Zachariah Trench. We're just, on total opposites. He's including just, story beats too. We're actually on total opposites on that. Are we? Or at least with how they affected the story. Maybe story beats is the wrong thing to say. Well, with Zachariah Trench, I feel like. <laughs> He's just the ultra melodramatic, brooding, serious guy the whole time. Like when you do the hotline stuff or you ever hear his voiceover, he's like smoking a cigarette. Like, yeah, the hiss. He's your stereotypical like 80s based government agency supervisor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I love the cliches about him in that regard. Um, You know, funny enough. Usually I don't. But um, he was cool. I love his name. I like his look. Um, he is like ultimately the villain apparently <laughs> at the end kind of like, accidentally, but yeah, I, that was another part of the story that I kind of want to criticize a little bit. It just like, all of a sudden it's like, it was trench who did it. He released the hiss and it's like, okay. And it's like, comes <laughs> in like the very last part of the story. It means nothing. It like just kind of, just kind of happens. Um, yeah, it, I, because you never really interact with him or see him like and there's not really a lot of development on him. Unlike Darling, he kind of just like is a weird pseudo villain thing that like, I don't know, it, it, he's he's in a weird spot as a far of a, as far as a character. But I liked like his likeness and his actor and his voice and stuff like that, I, I think is what it comes down to. No, oh, good performance. Of sure. I, I always enjoyed listening to the hotlines with him because it was just so like those are cool intense. <laughs> um, For sure companion piece set at top the top of the episode and i'll say it now uh stranger things for me i i honestly i may have i feel bad i think i may have used this like in one of our earlier episodes but someone will call you out hopefully yeah i mean i got so many stranger thing vibes from this game i mean secret government agency dealing with paranormal forces that like can possess you. I mean, that's stranger things. Right Alternate there, so. world, alternate like, worlds, the upside down, the astral plane synonymous with one another, basically. Um, well, synonymous might not be right, but point is very similar vibes, not similar themes. I won't say, but very similar vibe, actually kind of similar themes. 11 is like a government experiment, basically. And then like Dylan and Jesse are kind of similar things worth being prime candidates. But, um, yeah, go watch stranger things. It's a, um, daddy daddy netflix did good on that one is it is it still ongoing are they like in a new season yeah, or? season four yeah. is coming up wow i yeah. think season four is just season three i don't know 
I cannot believe how successful and popular that show has really become. I feel like it's like, it's insane. I can just say the upside down in a professional work environment. People know what I'm talking about. Right. That's pretty yeah. mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where'd that email go? It's in the upside down. <laughs> People are like, oh, I know what that means. It's crazy. Um, my companion piece pick, uh, The X-Files movie from 1998. Um, oh. uh, the X-Files, sick show. I watched it growing up. Um, you know, I mentioned it earlier. My mom used to watch this show quite a bit. And um, sort of in that last era, one of the last eras of TV where like shows weren't just released on Netflix or streaming, you know, and it was kind of like you have to wait every week for the TV show and it would come out. Um, on regular TV, you know, I think it was on Fox. Government conspiracies, cover-ups, really fun stuff. Um, government agents investigating like aliens, paranormal activity, monster of the week stuff. Um, and the movie from 1998 is watchable as a standalone movie. It takes place between season five and six, but it was a, it's a sick movie. Uh, so if anybody's a fan of government conspiracy type stuff and you're a fan of 90s stuff definitely check out the x-files movie because it does feel like it is from the 90s which is great that is one i will have to run back on yeah all right favorite moment what you got uh, you know it was kind of interesting when i was reflecting on the game there wasn't any one single standout moment to me that was oh this is my favorite moment so for mine, I just picked every darling info show thing. <laughs> that was that's great. Every, every time one thing. of those came on, I made sure I stopped to take the time to watch that. Yeah, those were really awesome. <laughs> I think um, my favorite moment, and I know I mentioned this to you like earlier in the week because it really got me the fake ending. Like I don't know why it just really got me. I'm so <laughs> shocked that got you. I can't believe it got me either. You know, I was texting Katie while I was playing the game. And she's like, oh, what are you up to? And I was like, oh, I'm playing Control. Oh, wait, I think I beat it. <laughs> and then I was like, I think that was a bad ending. And then like the credits start like getting all screwed up. And I was like, wait, hold up. I, te I texted her back. I was like, hold up. I'll call you. I'll, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Just keep keep playing the game. Um, I do. I, I like the fake ending because it, it got me as a gag. Um, and just for those of you that don't know, um, you kind of go through like this part of the game where just it's, I'm just going to oversimplify it. I mean, the game acts like it's over the credits roll and then the the text in the credits gets all jumbled up and then it turns out it, there's there's more to the game after that. But I actually what, have some problems with that. Which so my criticism is that what happens after the fake ending is kind of kind of lame. It like you, you don't really do that much after that. You just kind of go into a, a dream sequence that's kind of boring um, and then you fight through the red upside down and like um which is kind of not even you don't even fight i thought i was gonna fight some sort of cool boss or something like nothing you just end up fighting like a, a army of like the same creatures and then you've been fighting ends. the whole game yeah, yeah um I, I think just my the moment of the fake ending getting me was kind of a memory burn now just because it got me in that moment but then it ends up kind of falling flat because nothing cool happens after that so that's my criticism of it yeah so Fair choice, but going into nitpicks, I kind of want to just coattail right off that. Yeah, the reason I don't like the fake ending is because it breaks the fourth wall where the fourth wall hasn't been broken throughout the story, and then it doesn't tie back into that at all. Mm. The game, I mean... Fair enough. The, the, the game ending, like having the fake ending like that, and then it coming back into the game, to me, that's 
that signals that the characters, at least to some extent, are experiencing their game ending and then they come back to reality. Um, yeah. That's how I felt about it. And they kind of tease that in the very beginning of the game too, where it's not revealed in the beginning of the game who Jesse's talking to in her head. She just refers to it as you, the you actually being Polaris, which gets revealed to you about like a third into the game. Um, Polaris being the like entity that protected her from the hiss that came from the astral plane. But up to that point, it's very like, oh, is she aware? Is this like a situation where there's fourth wall breaking and they're aware of what's going on? Is yeah. This and I was actually really enjoying them playing with that. I thought they were doing it pretty well. And I thought they were going to be able to find a way to make that fourth wall breaking work because I don't know. I was so sure they're going to somehow tie it into like, oh, this whole game is actually like a government simulation. Or, I don't know, something like that. And that that's just not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, and then I, I, to I come know. back with the fake ending thing, which breaks the fourth wall, didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I thought it was pretty lame. Okay. Fair enough. Um, all I could say to defend that is that it got me. That's all, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. I'm um, disappointed in you. St- staying with nitpicks, we'll probably uh, jump back and forth on nitpicks. Um, it's really all story. I mean, if I think even just kind of thinking back on everything that we've said in the last hour, it's like, really, I think all of our criticisms come with like story stuff with the game. Um, my nitpick is that I feel like this is actually a really short story um, with a lot of coded like fluff layered on top. Like the story is really straightforward. Um, like someone is, you know, you're possessed by some sort of supernatural entity your whole life since like you experienced something as a child. You eventually find your way to this government building looking for your brother. You find him. What what else? There's like literally nothing else. (laughs) It's just like you find him cool. Um, There's no twists, really. There's nothing new that gets revealed. You don't really learn something new. Um, There's the brother reveal and there's the Polaris reveal, which is where the actual thing that you're possessed by that your character that Jesse is referring to the whole time in first person are inside inside her head voice, whatever um, you revealed who that is. It's not necessarily a twist. It doesn't move anything anywhere. There's really like two or three story beats. Um, the board, the hiss, uh, the astral plane, all these other things kind of go nowhere. Um, like there's this giant, really cool setting in this really cool world that's built up. And then the actual story within the world doesn't really do anything um, or really go anywhere. And even at the end, I talked about it already, when it's revealed that Zachariah Trench is the person that released the hiss, I like literally felt nothing. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if you felt that. I was just like, okay, like, he, so he, so he's the bad guy, I guess. Or like, what, what about the board? What about, you know, like the other guy? Like, what about, did Darling have it? You know, it just meant nothing like to me. Well, and there was so much to that. I mean, the game was so vague about certain things. And like we mentioned earlier, so many things that would have explained parts of the story were just redacted in documents. And I mean, yeah, there's like two or three story beats throughout the whole thing. And the game isn't exciting enough to be carried by game. It's a good gameplay. It's not good enough to carry the game alone. And honestly, for me, after the Polaris reveal, which is like pretty early on in the game, relatively about a little over a third, maybe like 40% of the way through, it was kind of just all downhill from, from there for me personally. And as far as gameplay and story or just story? A little bit of both, because, I mean, it's not long after that that you get the piercer, too. And 
I don't know. I, I just there's so much more I would have loved to have better explained to me, like Ati the janitor. Like I had to look up this to find out, but apparently he's just like a paranormal, like he's an entity himself. Yeah, I don't um, know why. I, I don't know how I would have known that unless yeah, I found I, some sort of maybe document that's there somewhere. Yeah, and then this is one of those games. And I think Alan Wake was maybe a little guilty of this too, because you don't really get an answer in Alan Wake. Although the Excuse me. Um, there is DLC that does tie in Alan Wake in this game. Um, I actually, because I bought the, I got the, I don't know if you had this too. Uh, on, on my PC, I have the like Ultimate Edition or whatever, or, like Definitive Edition. Right. So it came with all the DLC in it, and you get a little cool, almost hotline like snippet or cutscene with Alan Wake talking directly to you. And I guess the game better contextualizes what hap- actually ha- actually happened in Alan Wake and how that was a whole uh awe thing and you can kind of I, I will say it is kind of cool in alan wake how you can very clearly see how with the way like objects of power act or how enemies act in um control it seems very clear that it is within the same realm of alan wake which i enjoyed but story wasn't great not compelling gameplay um got stale after a while kind of very easy gameplay loop um I really felt like the main character, Jesse was just kind of existing within the story and not really partaking. Uh, I don't really know how else to articulate that. It just kind of felt she was going to point A to point B where Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. And that this was just an afterthought that she was forced to get through as part of getting it to Dylan. Um, and you don't even really see her like care or embrace her direct role until like the very end of the game. And even then it's just kind of like, well, I'm stuck in here until we get rid of the hiss, so I guess I'm directing. I'm gonna take care of this now. Yeah. Um. It was. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And the player's reveal was such a letdown for me. The fake ending was lame for me. And yeah. Um, wow. The story was just very convoluted with not enough explanation. Actually, Man. it wasn't even convoluted. It was just. It was not no explanation. No, it, for anything. It's. I think it was. Um. Like kind of arbitrarily, like convoluted. It like where there'd be a story beat, but all they would do is like throw, they'd cut away to the astral plane and just play radio mumbo jumbo and yeah. go like, Oh, this is crazy. Right. And it's like, nothing's really happening at all. It's not a real story. Beat. I know. And everything <laughs> did that, I, I almost felt like it was, I'm trying to say, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Dylan's talking to himself. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a little like contrived and like forced, confusion into the into the beat um yeah and, th- and for that was context like, what lucas and i are talking about whenever there was like um a major point completed in the game the game would just cut to like random like dark r- rooms with like backlit like red light or blue light or something with the characters kind of like walking up and smirking at the camera looking like they're up to no good but it really for the most part has no bearing on the story <laughs> yeah it was just like non it was basically just non sequiturs in visual form yeah. Uh, just like, look at this, look at this crazy, right? Mission complete. Go here. And it's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> God damn it. And like, I mean, the game is lucky that it's so much fun to play and just shoot, shoot stuff and, and fly around. Like, I mean, that, that's what makes the game so fun to me. I, I have a quote here for you, um, that I want to read. So Polygon, uh, gave control. It's number two game of the year. Actually. Um, they had a list in 2019 too for what game was of the number year. One? Outer Wilds, very okay. deserving. Yeah, really great that. number one. Um, and, you know, there's a little write-up on every single game. Now, this is a write-up on Control, very short um, section of the write-up for Control from that year. Um, this is from Russ 
frustic. Okay. He says, Russ says, by the end of control, you will be an expert in this strange existence. There's no weird for the sake of weird here. It all makes sense once you learn the language of the world. That's a true rarity in video game storytelling, where complex plots are often burdened by so much excess exposition and so many complications that it all turns into a meaningless soup by the end. Control instead feels like a carefully prepared meal being fed to you methodically Who the until fuck you. Wrote that? I don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, feels like Did a. We play the same game. Yeah, and it feels like a carefully prepared meal being fed to you methodically until you develop a taste for it. I sorry, Russ. Fresh, fresh stick at Polygon. I just I disagree There's with so, that. I mean, the first I, thing I, you say. I mean, all the game. <laughs> excuse me. All the game is is being weird for the sake for the of sake being of being weird. weird. And so what we like, just said, the perfect example, like those really kind of nonsensical transitions. Um, <coughs> excuse me, those nonsensical transitions. The um, there's like inexplicable, just like random blabber that your brother says, Dylan, and just kind of like floats for no reason. And I totally thought the whole time, oh, this nonsensical like blabber is going to get explained, but no, it's just just him talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. I was so disappointed with how much of that there was in this game, I felt like. Um, yeah. So I I have, um, I'm sorry, Russ, you're wrong. I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that quote because when I was reading it on Polygon, I was like, wow, this is pretty off base for me. But um, hey, that's just me. I bet that's the same guy that reviewed um, Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> God, Brothers, man. Um Check out our episode on Brothers, everybody, if you have not yet checked it out. It's a fun one. Um, all right. Uh, next section. Uh, would you play other games from this developer? I think we've talked about this uh, like quite a bit already. Um, the ones we haven't done are uh, Max Payne and um, Quantum Break. Yeah, they have uh, we, some others, but those are the most notable ones. Yeah, and I'm, I'm down, you know. I, I, I think They're working that on a Control sequel. They are, yeah. I heard about that, um, and I'm I'm down to play that one too. Um, probably uh, when I get my PS5 in in about three years, whenever whenever I can get it. <laughs> I am um, helping Lucas get a PS5. I'm watching the stock tracking apps. Yeah, and I what's what's interesting is um, one thing I really like about this podcast, uh, doing this podcast and playing all these games, is it's really interesting to play the games made by the same team or the same individual. Like this is the same writer as Alan Wake. And the voice of this writer is so clearly in this game and so clearly in Alan Wake. It's very clearly the same writer is, yeah. is what I mean. And, and I think like even you brought up Brothers and then talking about just um, uh, Brothers and then, oh my God, the, A Way Out, you know? It's like, it's clear that those, that those two games are both made by the same person and the same team too you know so it's yeah. i don't know it's it's interesting for us to kind of go through games and libraries of like certain specific video game voices and then see like oh okay like i kind of get what this guy does or at least i see what he's into yeah and the next game that the sequel to control or the next ip or something i'm i know what to expect and i'm kind of ready for it you know like the story is going to be a little corny and contrived but hey the gameplay is probably going to be pretty snappy pretty fun yeah, I mean, I, I echo everything you just said. Um, and yeah, I, that's one of the fun things about this podcast for sure is we are really able to kind of better identify and 
look at little tropes that exist within developers and things like that. So it's fun. Uh, Lucas, does this get your seal of approval? Yes, it does. Um, and just for those of you that didn't catch it at the beginning, this game is on Xbox Game Pass. So, you know, if you want a fun single player game to just kind of zone out to this Thanksgiving break, freaking download Control and play Control. Um, yeah, I know we just got done with the section where we were shit talking a lot, but it's a fun game. No, like, yeah, fun. I know. That's 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 the thing is, yeah, we were shit talking a lot. Everything that we shit talked, though, was pretty much the story, um, I'd say. And then the mechanics, uh, now you know what to expect when you get the Pierce, um, yeah, for those of you. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun game. Like, I mean, it, I, I love the setting and I loved exploring that world. So, yeah, absolutely gets my seal of approval. Yeah. What about you? And this also gets my Segoy of approval. <laughs> uh, good game. Good game overall. So. All right. Um, ratings, Lucas, you want to take this? Yep. So uh, here is our rating. For those of you that haven't been listening for a while, we are going to each give this game a score out of 10 and combine that to give this game a score out of 20. That becomes the main rating for the game. And uh, one day we'll end up on Wikipedia um, above IGN, hopefully. So on one, we will uh, say which uh, what our scores are. All right. Three, two, one. Eight. Seven. Oh, wow. Seven. I knew you were going to give it an eight. Yeah, I knew you were going to give it a seven, too. Yeah? Um, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I, I figured you you really, um, it really fell off for you in the second half there. I know that. Because I was what talking did, to you while you were playing the game, too. Yeah. What did you like better, this or Alan Wake? This, for sure. I actually liked Alan Wake better. I, uh, I you, was a little I, more interested and engaged in Alan Wake. I, for, I forget the specifics. I probably should go back and listen to the Alan Wake episode, but I remember not really loving Alan Wake as much when I played it. And then some of the points you and Johnny made like flipped me a little bit, but this game was like, felt like a, a big, I mean, this was a big game. Like this has like upgrades and you can, you can fly in this game. You can't, you know, like to me, yeah. that's like, you know, Alan Wake, you can drive a really, you could have a really shitty car driving uh, part. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that part of Alan Wake. Yeah, I mean, Alan Wake was supposed to be open world originally, which is pretty interesting. But I, yeah, this was probably closer to the vision. You know, yeah. I haven't played Quantum Break, but this is probably uh, closer to the vision of that too. Um, oh, I'd be curious to check Quantum Break now too, actually. So this game gets a combining a seven and an eight. This gets a fifteen out of twenty. Um, average on our scale. Average game. Yeah, pretty good. Worth playing for sure. Um, worthy of IGN's twenty nineteen game of the year? No, probably I mean there were so not. many other great games that came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I will anyway. say a little side note. We we were we've been talking so much about um, game lists and things like that. I I really can't wait. I mean, it'll be if we're doing this podcast in three years or two and a half years when we have done 100 games for the podcast. Ooh, and we can do the great. episode where we rank each game. Yeah, Killer Seven, number one. <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Uh, some of the games that we really chose early on in the pod have really still held up, um, which is great. Um, I mean, still, I still think about Killer Seven and Outer Wilds a lot. Oprah Din, Oprah Din, man, so good. <laughs> that was the first game. Oprah Din, I, I, I kind of, I'm so happy we played that game. It was a great game. Love it. I'm almost upset we did it so early in our podcast careers because I feel like now we can articulate our thoughts a lot better on it. I, I'd be, I, I'd be curious to go back and listen to that episode actually. And see yeah, totally. Kind of, totally. Maybe as a little 
self-performance review that might be fun well maybe we re-release it as a sort of a classics episode um from yeah. the archives or something like that later down the line um mm. but of course it's it's not hasn't been quite long enough for that yet yeah but um yeah man i'm just going through the list here um you know <laughs> super metroid uh oh. <laughs> well hades I never right? want to touch another metroid game yeah. again <laughs> kingdom kingdom hearts uh under we did undertale you know it's like it's been it's been a fun ride you know there's um, been a not a sequel but like another game by toby fox yeah uh delta, delta room, room. Right? i yeah. played chapter one and he just finally came out with chapter two recently are they ever gonna like i kind of want that whole thing to come out so i could just play the whole game is it is that a, is that part of the vision or is it supposed to be played in the i way think it's that... slowly part of i mean honestly i remember i finished chapter one and from what i remember it was at least like a five to six hour experience that felt complete in and of itself so oh wow definitely worth ex- Experiencing it has similar combat mechanics to um, Undertale, right? No, so it's less bullet hell and more of a kind of combat turn-based thing. Okay, gotcha. Oh, yeah. man, now you got me thinking about Undertale, and I'm just <laughs> getting chills all over again. All right, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I think... I think think that's all we got time for today um if you want to hang out with your good buddy matt you can find me online on twitter good idea matthew and of course you can find the podcast on twitter and instagram and tiktok at tfp podcast that's tfp podcast and s at the end you can also find in our link trees there a link to our youtube as well as our discord and of course you can find our discord on our uh website thanks for playing live and as always feel free to shoot us an email questions comments concerns thanks for playing pod at gmail.com who do you think would have got uh taken over by the hiss first me or lucas let me know great question great question um if you are looking for me online you can find me um on instagram at good idea lucas uh, and you could also find me in our discord server hanging out playing video games love it all right everyone this has been thanks for playing Catch you next time. Skibbity bop. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Real Call Bunch and Red Circle 